Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Asatoma Sadagamaya Tamasomaham Jyotir Gamaya Mrityohormam Amritaham Gamaya Avir Avir Maedhi Rudra Yate Dakshinam Mukaham Te namaham pahinityam. Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality. Reach us through and through ourselves, and evermore protect us from ignorance by thy sweet, compassionate face. My subject this morning is fate, fortune, or karma. We can begin with the great law of karma. Fundamental teaching of the law of karma is that you are a self-conscious, free will, moral agent. Life is a garden of forking paths. At every crossroads, you are the chooser. You make a choice. You decide on your direction. You choose the road. Choosing the beginning of the road is choosing the end of the road. And therefore, you are responsible for the consequences of your action. You are responsible for the fruits of your action. All that you are today is the result of your self-conscious, volitional decisions made in the past. All that you will be in the future is the result of your decisions in the present moment. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. And there's no one else to blame. (laughs) Now, as long as we're at home, this law of karma, um, we more or less take for granted. That is, we feel free to be ourselves. And uh, if you spill coffee on the floor, you take responsibility, you pick it up. And uh, if you live alone and your house is a mess, you know that you alone are responsible. But when we leave our microcosm and we go out into the larger world, then we tend to lose a lot of our feelings of self-empowerment and our sense of control. And certainly if we turn on the news and we listen to the course of current events, it's easy for us to get depressed. And in fact, 
In this world of Maya, it's very easy to slip into an attitude of fatalism. The ancient Greeks believed that our fate was controlled by the gods and uh, the fates in particular were personified as three sisters. And the three sisters each had their own office. That means one of them would spin the thread of life. The second one, her job was to cast lots, to draw lots, and to determine the length of that thread. And the third sister had a pair of cutting shears. Her job was to snip it wherever she pleased. And it was thought that uh, every child was born. After three days, he was visited by the sisters. And the sisters would determine his destiny and his fate. And the Greeks believed that there was no escaping your fate. The belief in fate, it naturally, psychologically, leads us into fatalism. The fatalist believes that everything is decided by the gods in heaven or by forces outside of himself and that he really can do nothing about it. Fatalism, it associates with a kind of a laissez-faire, vaguely pessimistic, uh, passive attitude towards life. We begin to feel that everything is decided for us by others. Everything is kind of predetermined, predestined. And uh, such ideas of fate naturally undermine our sense of freedom and the will to succeed. Students of the law of karma do not believe in destiny or that is, or in the fates, as did the ancient Greeks and Romans. And in fact, this law of karma knocks on the head all doctrines of predestination and fate. Once upon a time, there was a king who believed in fate. He believed that his life was ruled by the stars in heaven. And uh, he would entertain astrologers in his court. And on one occasion, the most famous of the astrologers came into the court and he worked his calculations. And his conclusion that he announced to the king was, you're going to die in six months. Not a very diplomatic uh, <laughs> astrologer. But um, the king was so frightened and he was so overwhelmed by this prediction that he was about to die of fear just that very moment. And uh, his 
Prime Minister, however, was a very clever man. And he tried to convince the king, saying, these astrologers are fools. They don't know what they're talking about. But the king wouldn't listen to him. He said, no, it was predicted. I saw his calculations. I saw all the mathematics. I'm doomed. So time passed, and the king became more and more depressed. One day, the prime minister thought, I have to do something. So he invited that astrologer back into the court. And uh, he said, the king is so depressed. Will you please uh, work out your calculations again? Make sure you haven't made any mistakes. And the astrologer, he brought out all of his charts and began to work his, all of his calculations. And before the eyes of all the assembled court, he came to his conclusion. He said, the same conclusion. I'm sorry, the, the king is going to die in six months. And the king's face has just became pale with fear. And the prime minister looked at him, and he asked him a question, well, what, what, are the, what does your horoscope say? How long are you going to live? Oh, he said, I'm, I, I know that. I said, I'm going to live for another 12 years. Is that so, said the prime minister. Pulled out his sword, swung his short sword, separated his head from his body. The head rolled down through the court. Everybody watched it. And the prime minister turned to the king. He said, you see this fool? He doesn't know what he's talking about. And, uh, well, the moral of the story is <laughs> this doctrine of karma it knocks all laws of predestination and fate on the head. Very akin to this belief in fate is a belief in fortune and the belief in luck and in chance. The idea that things happen by chance is a very ancient one. And in fact, the old Greeks and Romans personified this concept in the form of the goddess of fortune. And uh, we would call her Lady Luck. And the goddess of fortune in Greek iconography is often pictured as blindfolded. Everything happens. We can't predict what's going to happen. And uh, everything depends on her arbitrary will. She can't really see the consequences of what's going to result. And often she's seen kind of juggling three or four balls that are in the, in the air. And of course, the, the balls are going up and down, up and down. You never can kind of see what's, what's in her hand, what's in this hand, where the, what's rising and what's falling. It's amazing. Well, of course, today, people would say, most people would say that they do not believe in the goddess of fortune. That is, we believe that uh, things are, we consider ourselves to be more rational and scientific. And we know by and large that, uh, or we believe that things happen according to natural law. Sometimes you hear people uh, uh, say, well, anything can happen. But the fact is, is that it's not true. Anything can't happen. The only thing that can happen are things that happen according to natural law. And um, this world in which we live is not a chaos. It's a cosmos. 
And in the cosmos, things are not decided arbitrarily by supernatural beings who live in the sky. Everything has an essence. It has a nature. The nature determines how it will behave. And its behavior can be is governed by uh, laws of, of nature, by laws of probability. We can question the ontology of, of Lady Luck. Is there really a Lady Luck up there? But, but that's not really our subject this morning. Our subject this morning really is the question of whether or not luck has anything to do with our karma. That's our question. And uh, the answer is, yes, it does. For one thing, good and evil, good and bad. That is, we, th we would visualize as the as we, Lady Luck, or the gods, are in heaven, and they arbitrarily choose something which is good over here and something which is bad over here. And somehow we have the idea that good and bad are intrinsic qualities, that things, events in the world, are intrinsically good or they're intrinsically bad. But that's not the case. Good and bad are observer relative. They're, they are the result of a normative judgment. And uh, things uh, that a thing is good or bad is part of our perceptual reality. Whether we perceive it as being good or bad is observer relevant. Whether if it's raining, a rainy day, or if it's, sun, it's a sunny day, whether we perceive it as good or bad, it depends on ourselves. And as Shakespeare says, nothing is good or bad. But thinking makes it so. It's all about what we make of it. This links it into the law of karma. Let me give you a few very mundane examples. Let's talk about the lottery. A person buys a lottery ticket. This is a karmic action. That is, this is a self-conscious, volitional action. He made a decision, he went out and he bought the ticket. This is why that when and if he, you were to win, if that was a winning ticket and you were to win, in fact, the prize is rightfully yours. That's why it's recognized by law. You are the rightful winner of that prize. That's because you bought the ticket. It's your ticket. You deserve the prize if it's a winning ticket. On the day of the drawing, the ticket chosen, we're doing, let's do a little discrimination here now. On the day of drawing, however, the ticket chosen which ticket is chosen is purely a random event. Can't be predicted. Theoretically, it's practically unpredictable. We're not omniscient. No one is omniscient. Therefore, we can't predict it. Maybe it's theoretically possible. But for all practical purposes, it's a purely unpredictable, amoral 
objective event that happens in the real world, independent of ourselves. Which ticket appears as the winning ticket? The numbers chosen are random, and the number is announced. But the holder of the ticket, when that number is announced, the, the holder of that ticket does not just hear numbers. The owner of the ticket, the person holding the ticket, hears, that's my number. And uh, that means, what does that mean? That means I won. That means I'm going to have a lot of money which is deposited into my account. That means the future is looking bright. That means that I have a lot of happiness in store for me in the future. That is, the reaction and the response to the event, which is purely immoral, the reaction and the response to the event is determined by the individual, and hence it comes under the purview of the great law of karma. So the law of karma is involved here, and uh, the actual number, whatever number comes up, that's a random event described by natural law, by probability theories and numbers, but the beliefs and the emotional response is all depends on the observer. And hence, it is determined by the great law of karma. Now, let's imagine this world as, um, think in gambling terms here, think, think of this world as a uh, big gambling casino. And we can visualize that uh, the wheels are turning and the cards are being dealt and the dice are being rolled and all these events are subject to the laws of probability. And mathemat mathematicians can and do come in and work out the formulas and determine very accurately the, uh, what numbers will result. Everything that happens in the casino is morally insignificant. That is, it's amoral. It has no moral significance. But as we look around us, we can ask ourselves, then why all the drama? Why all the laughter? Why all the tears? Why all of the melodrama in the casino? Well, it's not Lady Luck who is making people laugh and cry. Rather, it's each individual's own individual response to the events that happen in the casino. It's all about the response, that is the melodrama, is all about the response of the players. It's because each player has invested in a game, has become interested in a game, interest, that means he's projected himself into that progression of, of events. It's because he is interested in the outcome that he's affected by the outcome, and he's happy. He's made happy or miserable by the results. 
And we can observe that the cashiers at the reception counter, they're not laughing. They're not crying. They don't care what happens in the casino. That's because they're not personally invested. So we can see that there's a lot of karma. This is where karma comes in. The personal response to the amoral objective event. Let's talk a little bit about why our subject is fate, fortune, or karma. Let's talk a little bit about an event that happened, what is it, maybe 16 years ago. So it's called, it was a hurricane. Remember that hurricane in New Orleans? Hurricane Katrina, that was uh, in 05, was long ago. It was all the papers, all the news, huge discussion. That hurricane was all about the law of karma. Now, let's look about what do we mean by that. Let's try to let's do discrimination. What, when the Karmavadans say, yeah, there's a lot about the law of karma in, in all of those events, let's try to understand that. That the hurricane happened is an, is an objective event, which happened in the world. That the people were harmed. People were injured. There was great loss of personal property. There was untold suffering and uh, misery that was caused as a result of the hurricane. And we can ask ourselves, what does that have to do with the law of karma? Well, certainly, the hurricane itself is a natural phenomenon. We can't blame God for it. Because even if you're a monotheist, even if you're a, a dualist and a traditional monotheist who believes that God is omnipotent and omniscient and uh, omnibenevolent, still, you can't reasonably blame God for what happens in the world. Theologians have taken care of that objection. Things happen, it's logical entailment, right? Once you have air, once you have a sun, once you have air, once you have movement of air and you have water, you're going to have hurricanes. Hurricanes happen. That's part of the natural law. Nobody, God, you can't blame God for it. But what about the people who are in New Orleans at that time? We can't blame them either. We can't blame any individual person who is in New Orleans. We can't say something like, which maybe you've heard from uh, law karma is very popular in the kind of New Age theology. You know, sometimes it's misinterpreted. Sometimes you hear people say, well, they, they cho he chose to move to New Orleans. It was his choice. He bought a house in this area. You can't blame the individual. There's no way that the individual, you see, according to the great law of karma, there is an epistemic condition. That is, you are not responsible for the action unless you can foresee what is going to happen as a result of the action. And there's no way you could foresee the hurricane. It was unpredictable. So the individual is not responsible. And not only that, it is irrational and immoral to talk about group karma. You can't say that something like, well, all the people in New Orleans <laughs> somehow share some kind of mystical, deep uh, responsibility for things they've done in the past life, and somehow by, they have all come together in that place, and they're being punished by an angry God. Students of the law of karma don't believe in that. 
We don't believe in group karma. We don't believe in collective karma. So we see as a result of that, a little analysis, that there's no one to blame. But there was a lot of blame going around. Right? I mean, wives blamed their husbands because they didn't take out hurricane insurance. And um, white people blamed black people. The blacks blamed the whites. The Republicans blamed the Democrats. And the Democrats blamed the Republicans. And everybody there blamed the, uh, the mayor and the governor and the president and the FEMA organization. Of course, who ended up taking responsibility, that is financial responsibility for the whole thing, was that is the great American taxpayer. See, all this is about the law of karma, raises questions about the law of karma. See, all of this, Who's to blame? How are we going to take that? That has nothing to do. That's all in the response to the hurricane. The hurricane event has passed. So that's why we say that there's a lot of karma in the story of the, of the hurricane, the whole story taken as, a, as an event that transpired over weeks and months and discussion of, of uh, discussion, all of that, the sum total of that, of the event, there's a lot of karma involved in the event. But it's important for us to understand that the Karmavadins do not blame the victims of the hurricane. The Karmavadins do not blame the victim. But the Karmavadins do vigorously, they vigorously reject and condemn the victim mentality. The victim mentality is that which is acquired over the course of time by an individual and his response to negative things that happen. Bad things happen in life. And uh, it's easy gradually to fall into a mentality in which one feels himself to be vulnerable to bad things that will happen. Now remember, we've already tried to make the point, there are no bad things. There's only things. Things are good or bad because thinking makes it so. But the fact is, bad things happen. They make us feel depressed. We can easy to slip into kind of victim mentality. I'm vulnerable in the world. Everywhere I go, I don't know what's going to happen. There's no way I can predict. There's no way I can take control over my life. I'm kind of helpless in the face of these unpredictable forces of the world. And I'm not responsible for what happens. That's the victim mentality. The Karmavadans say, of course it's true that negative things happen to people. But no event that happens in our lives can rob us of our free will. No event that happens in our lives can rob us of the capacity to take positive action you may feel a kind of temporary loss or gain, uh, and that's natural. But there's no rational justification for um, giving up, blaming God, blaming others, blaming the universe, blaming your circumstances. As a result, kind of sinking into a state of passivity and despair. That's the response of the Karmavadans. 
But they go even further. Students of the law of karma, they go even further. And uh, because we've said, well, it's natural to feel loss and gain as, as a result of some positive or negative event. You see, even positive and negative are both, are both loaded, that's loaded terminology. Events, objective events. You can say, well, it's natural to feel, if I, I have a house, it's, isn't it natural, if, if a hurricane destroys my house, isn't it natural for me to feel sad, <laughs> to feel unhappy, and to feel depressed because my house has been destroyed? You see, the Karmavadans and the yoga psychologists, they say, well, not really. It's not really. It depends on what you mean by natural. It's certainly common. But the fact is, is that all suffering, the reason you suffer is because you are as attachment. All suffering is because of a t desire. It's that, you know, you, you students of yoga psychology, all the suffering in life is due to desire. And desire, of course, it leaves an impression in the mind. It forms our character. It forms our whole perspective on life. As a result of desires, we become attached to objects. We become attached to our body, our mind, our beliefs, our whole, our whole self-concept. And as a result of that attachment, biological entailment, we suffer. That's the human condition. Remember the analogy there of the, of the, the clerks there in the casino? They're not suffering. Why? Because they're not attached. Similarly, the jnanis would say, that is, the yoga psychologists would say, the karmavadins would say, after all, if you were a sage, if you were a jnani, if you were a karma yogi, you would uh, be detached from what happens. Now, that's speaking from a pretty high platform of thought, I agree. It sounds like it's almost inhuman, right? But, well... And it's true, the, nor the natural human condition, it questions the natural human condition. And we know the stories of the karma yogis or the jnanis, they have the virtue of same-sightedness, samadarshana, or whatever happens. Lady Luck, balls flying up where they come down, is indifferent, he's detached. Maybe you don't like that idea. <laughs> maybe, maybe that kind of rubs you the wrong way. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be in a detached uh, observer of life. Okay, well, that's what we teach. I mean, ultimately, is to be the detached witness. You remember about the two birds? I'm not going to tell you the whole story. The two birds on the self-same tree. One's pecking about eating the sweet and bitter fruits. He's not. He's attached. He's happiness, misery, joy, suffering, joy, sorrow. But there's another bird perched on the top of the tree. Calm, majestic, quiet, witness of the universe. He looks on without eating. He's a calm, detached witness. So, this world, let's take an analogy from the philosophy, from the discussion, the ongoing discussion for a thousand years of the of different, the, the, between de determinism and free will. It's an argument, debate goes on. The fact is, is that life is like a game of cards. 
Life is like a game of cards. The cards are shuffled by the dealer, and you are dealt the cards, and you play the hand. Now, who dealt you those cards? Well, I don't know. Is it God? Is it Lady Luck? Is it nature? Is it random selection? Those are all different discussions. Really, it doesn't affect you personally, because whoever's doing it, you got the cards. Someone has dealt you that hand. Now it's up for to you to play the hand. Now the cards dealt to you represent determinism. That's all predetermined by natural law. Nobody can determine it because nobody can predict it because we're not omniscient. But theoretically, if you were uh, omniscient, like Laplace's demon, that's a, in philosophy they talk about a demon. You know, he knows everything, so he can determine everything. But it's practically uh, uh, impossible. And so uh, we have no control over the cards that we're dealt. But we do have control over how we play the cards. And that makes all the difference. You see, for a master poker player, a master poker player, the value of the cards are a factor in the game, but they're not the determining factor. That's why in California, poker playing of different kinds of poker, it's legal. Gambling is supposed to be illegal, I thought. No, you go to card parlors and you can play poker. That's because poker is not a game of chance. Chance is involved, but the outcome over the long term is all about skill. And there are professional poker players who have the skill to grind out a living from playing poker. They can't win every hand, but they can over time. They can win over time. The cards do not determine the outcome of the game. It's the player who determines the outcome of the game. That's what makes all the difference. The master card player, the master poker player, the chess master, you know, he doesn't care. He play, now you play one person, he doesn't play one person. He plays two, plays three, plays a whole room full of people. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what move you make because he knows in the long run that he's the master. He, he's going to win. He's the chess master. He's the, uh, he's the Zen master. Let me tell you a story about the master cat. It so happened once in the house of a samurai warrior that he uh, awakened one night and he became aware of a mouse. And um, he, he, he looked down there. Sure enough, there's a mouse that's sitting there just looking at him. And he became vexed. He looked back, yep, there's the mouse sitting there, still looking at him, staring him right in the eye. Made him angry. He made a quick movement. Jumped up out of bed. Mouse didn't move, just sat there looking at him. Well, the samurai pulled out his sword. He swung his sword and he hit down at that mouse. A tiny little mouse, he missed. Hit the concrete floor, sword rings out. Mouse just looked at it, sat, stared at it. And the samurai swung again, the sword again, hit the floor. 
Mouse looked at him. The samurai went back. He collapsed. He went back into his bed. What happened? What? The mouse jumped up on his bed. Right up on his bed. Looked at him right like this in the eyes. And the samurai, he's been totally defeated. His sword is all kind of dulled by the, hitting the floor. Ah, he just gets up out of bed. He goes out and he tells his ministers, you know, I have a problem. A mouse. There's a mouse in there. And he told the whole story of what happened. And the ministers thought, wow, this is a, such a famous samurai. He's been defeated by a mouse. So what is this? Story went around. Well, the prime minister said, no, sir, you don't have to worry about this. Let's just get a cat. We'll take care of it. <laughs> and so they set out for a cat. But you see, the rumor of what had happened there, that is the great samurai had been defeated by just a, an orc, by a mouse, that rumor had gone around even in the cat world. <laughs> and the cats heard, yeah, yeah, we got to send a cat to kill this. Oh, no. No, no cat would volunteer for it. Finally, they had an election. They elected a big fat cat. You go and you take care of it. And the cat was just very uh, self-conscious. He was terrified. He was worried. You know, this. he defeated a samurai warrior. What am I going to do? He walks into the little cat. His big, his big cat goes in the room. Looks there and see, sure enough, there is that little mouse sitting right by the mouse hole staring at him. And the cat looks at the mouse and he thinks, what do, what's going to... What, what is he going to do? He began thinking, how am I going to handle this? You know, what technique am I going to use? How, 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 am I, how is this going to work out? While he's thinking like this, the mouse attacked, bit him on his leg. And the cat just was so frightened, he ran out of the, ran out of the room. All the cats saw him come running out of the room. Sure enough, I told you, it was an ordinary mouse in there. What can we do? So they thought, well... We have to, uh, there's only one cat that can handle this. And that is, we have to go to the king's palace. And we have to get the, the royal cat. And so they went and they got the royal cat. This is the master cat. And uh, he came. And uh, as he came in, as walking into the samurai, the samurai noticed it was very disappointed. Because he wasn't as big as the other cat. He looked very ordinary. But the cat, he went into the room, into the bedroom, and uh, he, killed the, he killed the mouse, and he came out. Took him about five seconds. And all the, cat, the cats were gathered around him. Sir, said, oh, that's amazing. You know, you were so successful. How, is there, how in the world did you do that? What were you thinking? What was your technique? And the master cat said, thinking? technique. I'm a cat. <laughs> Being a cat is enough. So that's the story of the master cat. And the teachings of the Karmavadins is that each one of us, that you are a master cat. That you are a free will, conscious, free will, moral agent. That you are the decision maker of your life that you are not a pawn of fate on the chessboard of life. You are not a plaything, a fickle fortune. You're not like a football being tossed around on a playground. You're not like a feather which is floating in the wind. Wind blows this way and that way. You're not a cork 
bobbing up and down on the ocean of the world, completely helpless. According to the law of karma, you are not other-determined. You are self-determined. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. Udyoginam purushasingham upaiti lakshmi daivam deya mitika purusha vadanti. Famous old Sanskrit verse says, the goddess of fortune comes to the lion of a man who makes an effort. It is only the coward and the fool who says, this is fate. Om Dyo Hushanti Antariksha Hamshanti Pritivi Hishanti Apashanti O Shadaya Shanti Vanaspataya Shanti Vishwe Deva Shanti Brahma Shantihi Saravam Shantihi Shantireva Shantihi Same Shantirehi Om Shantihi 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 Om peace is in heaven, peace is on the earth, peace is in the sky and in the waters. The herbs and plants and trees are full of peace. The gods are peaceful. May this eternal universal peace enter our souls and beings. Om, peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.